Hey there, boss. This is Jeff Mendelson, host of the One Big Tip podcast. And I am so excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program, where I teach you how to fast track your lead gen by having more conversations with your targeted clients, even if you have no list, audience, or paid ads. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero, and let me show you how to be the superhero in your own business. I am also actively seeking guests for this podcast. If you know someone who is currently six figures or more in their business and they have an actionable, tangible, and measurable tip to share, please let them know about it. Just go to onebigtip.com slash guest for information on how to be a guest. I can't wait to hear from you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Jeff Mendelson, and this is the One Big Tip Podcast. My guest today is Mike Ravenscroft, Startup Success Manager at DreamIt, a growth program and venture fund for startups that are ready to scale. Mike is also the host of Extreme Uncertainty, a successful podcast about the challenges entrepreneurs face and how to deal with them head on. Mike's experience is in seed and series A stage technology investments, as well as providing strategic consulting to venture-backed startups. Mike has built investment strategies for venture-backed accelerators and led, led equity and debt investments in companies across industries and global geographies. Join us today as we hear why being liked is an integral part of business and can help your startup gain the momentum that it needs. It's a lot of fun today. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Jeff, for having me. It's a real pleasure. Yeah. So I really want to dive into this. You know, it's like one of the things I got to tell you, my wife and I are binging on two interesting series right yeah. now. One is We Crashed, right? The story uh-huh. about work. And the other one is, I forgot the name of it, but it's the one about Theranos with Elizabeth Holmes, right? Right. And we nerd out on this stuff all the time. We're the type of couple that like will sit down and, you know, scream at the TV during Shark Tank. <laughs> You know, things like that. So what is really interesting is we got on the topic coincidentally last night about personalities on how Adam Newman, for example, was the exact personality that needed to grow this co-working group into this global phenomenon, right? It wasn't just about signing real estate deals. It was about community. It was about, you know, making all this happen. But at the end of the day, it was about being liked, Right. It was that, you know, he really needed, you know, he really needed the spotlight directly on him. So I really want to dive into this phenomenon with you. And I want to start out, first of all, by asking you a little bit more about your background, you know, like how you approach this, because I'm sure you get approached by a lot of people. And then as you're listening to these pitches, I'm sure that the likability factor has to be like, what the hell is this person doing? They're, you know, they're cut my veins boring. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so Mike, tell me a little bit about yourself and, sure. you know, tell me a little bit about, about what it is that you do. Yeah. I mean, the quick high, high level on me, you know, I started my career in consulting and then got into venture capital uh, through a consulting project that my organization at the time was running for Department of Homeland Security. That's sort of where I learned about startups. I kind of got my teeth cut working with public safety facing startups uh, and then never really looked back. So I've been doing that for the last six years in various capacities. I've done seed stage investing, run a couple of accelerator programs, work for a few venture funds. I've run my own business sort of as a venture scout working for different funds. And then I've interned with, and I'm now uh, employed by Dream Adventures, which is uh, a health tech and cybersecurity or secure tech uh, focused venture fund. So we're, you know, two verticals, but laser focused on those industries. Uh, and most of what I do is, is in health tech. 
So, you know, I kind of come to venture capital, not through the founder route. I've worked with founders for the last six years, sort of in an advisory capacity, but I've never myself been a founder of a tech startup. I used to think that was something that might hold me back from being successful in this industry. It, it actually hasn't. I think there are lots of different types of personalities you need to have and backgrounds in order to make a successful venture fund or a successful team. You know, I think that's true for, for companies as well when they're hiring. You need a, a diversity of inputs, variety of um, backgrounds to be able to build, you know, something that's not like a monochromatic or sort of a, 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 a two uh, focused uh, solution or, or company. Uh, I think it helps to have a diversity of inputs. To your question, sort of about likability and sort of what my one big tip is, you know, I, I think it, it's interesting you know, over the last six years, I've sort of learned how to sort of, you know, interact with with founders and sort of understand their business models and, and get to know them as people. And, you know, it's interesting that you led with the WeWork founder because very charismatic individual, uh, same with Elizabeth Holmes. But that, that's sort of the darker side of venture capital, I think, is that you know at the end of the day, you are backing uh, a person uh, who needs to have a, a vision and be driven. But I, I think that you know there, there's often things that kind of get overlooked when that's given you know the only priority, right? You know there are there were things that were wrong with both of those businesses that probably could have been caught earlier, and probably things uh, with those founders that probably should have been screened out at an earlier stage. I would say. So I want to ask you then, so when someone comes and, and pitches you guys, do you have to have that likability first or do you give them the benefit of the doubt to kick into their pitch to see if there's any value there yeah. first or like how does, like what comes first, you know, like the yeah. likability or the actual, or, or the actual business plan? Yeah. I mean, likability can sort of cut both ways. I mean, so, you know, I think we all want to work with and back people that we like, you know, it's very hard to kind of get super excited and passionate about something it's about somebody that you just don't get along with or, or don't see eye to eye on or, or that you think is maybe unlikable. And, you know, at a sort of base level, you want to like a founder and you want, and a founder ideally is likable because it's hard to build a, a company. You know, building a startup is probably one of the hardest things you can do in business, if not the hardest. And in order for all the things to go right that need to go right in order for a company to be successful, getting great advisors, uh, building an outstanding team, raising capital, getting customers. You know, if you're in the field that I'm in, uh, healthcare, uh, it's extremely challenging to engage with customers, to, to, to convince them of value, but then kind of get something through like a very complicated and lengthy sales cycle. So if at base, it's hard for people to kind of get on board and with your vision and, you know, kind of feel like they want to get in the same bus as you to you know, take this journey. Uh, it's really hard to do all those other things. And so, you know, likability, when, when I sort of think about what it means to be likable and, and why that can help make you successful, it's, it's not just having people want to work with you. It's being willing to, to give back to others and to do for others so that, you know, you can kind of create like a virtuous cycle among your network and, you know, in other networks. So, you know, I, I realized this was a piece of advice that my boss actually gave me and he'd heard it from another VC uh, and, you know, another VC had told that person. So this is sort of like been passed down, but but you should never underestimate the importance of being liked because uh, it it really will pay dividends and, and it's better to be liked than to be disliked. That sounds kind of trite and silly, but, you know, we, we often sort of think about, well, founders, are they have this vision and they're dedicated and they're passionate and it doesn't matter if people like them because that's, and I don't think that's true. You know, I mean, when, and so when I sort of think about what's helped me be successful and what I've seen other help uh, make other founders successful is being willing to do things like paying it forward. You know, if somebody does you a favor, do a favor for somebody else. Being willing to make connections, make introductions, to take an hour out of your day to like give somebody feedback on their pitch or on, you know, like a, on, a, on a product beta or, or you know, whatever it is somebody's looking for help with. 
I, I learned a long time ago. This is a, this is, I don't know if you're a fan of The Wire, the TV show, but there's a character in The Wire who says uh, that a wise man does not burn his bridges until he first knows that he can part the waters. I haven't met too many people who can part the waters. And so, you know, it's like, it, it, is, it is better to be, you know, to, to have good relationships with people. It is better to be liked. It is better to sort of, you know, take, uh, you know, the slings and arrows in stride because I think ultimately that, that, will, pay, that will pay off. Uh, you know, when you're doing something that's as hard as building a startup. You know, one of the things that that's interesting about what you're talking about is that why would a founder come to a company like yours, right? Maybe they have the vision, but they don't have the experience, right? Or maybe they have, uh, you know, they have this great idea or they came across, you know, some kind of patent that they have, you know, which nobody else has, uh, you know, that's where they're trying to raise money in order to bring it to market. Sure. Now, in both cases, whether you're talking about building value for a company, you know, customer acquisition, all that stuff, or trying to be a charismatic leader that can help, you know, attract the type of people and type of customers that you need. It would seem to me that in either case, both can be coached, right? So, you know, uh, unless you're absolutely, you're an absolutely abhorrent individual, you know, with a brilliant business case, right? Okay. Maybe there's, you know, maybe that's an edge case, right? But, you know, in most cases, like you can teach somebody how to present, you can teach somebody, you know, how to state your business case. And, you know, conversely on the value side, you can also help somebody refine like, Hey, you know, maybe if you approach customer acquisition, you know, in a different way, or you, you know, you made a 45 degree turn to start going down this particular market and, you know, you niche down and you really hit, you know, who you're trying to serve, both of which can be coached. How does that look in your space, right? When you're talking with somebody, how can you, you know, sort of ascertain uh, what parts, uh, you know, what talents they already have and what thing, you know, and what parts do you need to train them on in order to make it a viable venture for you to invest yeah. in? Yeah, I mean, a lot of good questions in there. I mean, I so like at, at its core, you know, a lot of VCs talk about coachability. So coachability is uh, kind of it, it can seem like sort of a nebulous term, but I always interpret it as founders' open mindedness and sort of willing to to listen and hear ideas and be. I, I I always use this quote from Jeff Bezos: "Be stubborn on the vision, flexible in the details." Like I think founders that are coachable are willing to to make pivots when the market is telling them to make pivots, but to drive toward a vision that they have for solving a problem in, in whatever market it is they're targeting. But I think that coachability kind of comes back to this idea that, you know, you're just one person. Uh, even if you're co-founders, you're just two people. You don't know everything and you can't do everything. Nobody can, right? So you have to be able to take advice where you can get it. You have to be able to bring people around you who uh, account for uh, and sort of um, help make up for, you know, a, a skill set that you don't have, a viewpoint that you don't have. You know, I often look at advisory boards for companies and I sort of ask the founder, you know, how they built their advisory board. And if it's just these were the first five people that could cut me a check for $5,000 to help get the company off the ground. To me, that's not a very strategic approach for building a company. It's maybe tactical, but it's not very strategic. You know, founders that that make the effort to go out and seek out advisors and are willing to bring people who have, you know, a lot of clout, but also, you know, their their opinions matter in the space that the founder's operating in. That to me says to, that the founder has a vision, but they need help with execution. And they know that. And so I think that's one of the more important things that, that I certainly look for in, in teams that I want to help and that I want to back. As far as you know, how we work with companies at DreamIt, so DreamIt's basic premise is that there's much more that you can do as a VC than just cut a check. 
So most of what I do in my role is I work with a, a, a network at this point of over 100 uh, partners in healthcare. So it's mostly um, providers like large academic medical centers, hospital systems. We also work with um, uh, insurance companies, so payers, uh, and then pharmaceutical companies as well. And it's not a financial relationship. They're just in our partner network and they look at our companies. They, they trust us sort of as a, an innovation scout for them to find companies for them that they should take a look at because they, they have many problems. I mean, healthcare as an industry has never been under more strain than it is right now, given everything that's happened in the last two years. And there are even issues that have been, you know, much longer uh, term that are just sort of now kind of coming to a head, the staffing crisis being the most obvious. But they're looking for startups to solve their problems because big companies aren't really innovating in the way that startups are. But it's very hard for a startup to work with an enterprise health system. They speak different languages, they operate in different world spaces, and they have very different expectations about what success looks like. You know, startups want to move fast, healthcare wants to move slow. And the same is true in a lot of industries where there's a lot of regulation, where there's, you know, a lot of potential downside to taking a risk on a startup. You know, it's like if you, if you try a new app at home and you don't really like it, well, then you just delete it from your phone. Maybe you spent five bucks on it, but that's, that's a sunk cost. But for a healthcare system, if I'm going to bring something in that's going to interact with my patient data and is going to sit on my network and is going to deliver some kind of return for me, it better be good. It better be secure and it better work all the time because my threshold for risk is very, very low. And so that's part of what we help founders understand and work through. And there's no silver bullet. You know, like we, we have a, a pretty good network, I think, of um, CIOs and CMOs who want to engage with startups, but there's no guarantees that, um, that what a startup's building is something that's going to resonate with a key decision leader at a healthcare system. You know, that's part of part of why we do this is to help us understand the market and how, you know, what the market needs. And then also to help founders basically get an edge, you know, skip the 18 months of of um, business development that it would take to get in the room of the CIO. Amazing. Well, what a great answer. I was wondering if you can give an example, maybe not name names, right? But I was wondering if you can give an example of, of how that dynamic works. You know, where a founder comes to you, you take them on, and then you bring them into, you know, you try to figure out which is the right fit for them, you yep. know, with, with, you know, with X, Y, or Z provider. How did that play out? And what was the net result with, with the value that your firm added, you know, by making that introduction and making those investments and introductions? Yeah. I mean, I'll sort of speak in, in, in generalities here a little bit, but, you know, we, we frequently have companies that are, you know, they, they build a product to solve a problem that they saw. Right. I mean, that's kind of like startup 101, right? It's like you, you, you were in an industry, you saw that something was broken, you decided to do something to fix it and you built a company around it. And we will frequently have uh, founders who are doctors, maybe nurses who launched a tech company to solve a problem that they saw in, in you know, their day-to-day lives. And that's great. I mean, that's a great place to start because you have, you have credibility You've got an understanding of, of you know, the workflows that you need to, to cater to, and you have an understanding of maybe the technology piece that, you know, how you need to integrate uh, into the EHR or, or, you know, other platform that a hospital might be using. The challenge is usually that there's always more than just the tree. There's, there's always a forest uh, when you're doing business development or you're trying to work with a hospital system. And so it's like, you may have seen one part of that forest, but there's so many other things that also need to fall into place. And more than that, there's almost always sort of a twist on what it is that's really going to resonate in terms of value proposition. You know, I used to think, I used to think that VCs had short attention spans because it's like, if you don't get a VC interested in the first 90 seconds of talking to them, 
it's very hard to get their interest back. Even if you got a full hour meeting, it's you're you're kind of trying to claw your way back into their into their top of mind. You know, it's it you got to get them quick. And it's the same with healthcare. I think it's the same with any industry. It's like if you don't immediately address like a burning up at night issue that I know that I have, it's very hard for me to get interest in what you're doing because you're t- I'm talking about spending lots of money on this. It's going to be a lot of work for me working with a startup. There's a lot of risk to working with a startup. You may go out of business before we go live, you know, if it takes us 12 months to implement. So it's like, if that problem doesn't outweigh all of those other things, it's really, it's just, it doesn't really work in the minds of the potential customer like to, to move something forward. So, so most of what we do is help founders figure out what is the thing like, you know, if you're sort of thinking about like in, in like uh, terms of when you go to the dentist, it's like, yeah, I need to brush my teeth more, but this tooth here, this, I can't, I can't sleep. It's hurting me so bad. And we help them sort of pinpoint what exactly that part is that will really resonate. And then at least get you over that first kind of hump to getting to the next conversation, which is, I think the hardest part. You know, what's interesting about what you're talking about here is when you need to present these startups to these larger hospital groups, I would imagine you have, you have different company cultures that you need to, uh, uh, you know, that you need to deal with. Whereas hospital group A would be very conservative, good old boys network, you know, very regional, for example, and others would be more natural, uh, more national, more open to change and innovation. How do you help the startups then navigate between those different cultures and to figure out whether they would be a good fit with uh, group A versus group B? Yeah, that's so hard. And some of that is we, we have some insight based on what we know about uh, about the partners that we're working with as far as, you know, we know that historically it's challenging for them to put anything into the EHR because it's such a big system. It takes a lot of work. You know, they've seen lots of solutions that do something like this. It's really hard to rise above the noise. You know, that's true for any industry, I think we can give we can give color and context there. But to be totally honest, a lot of the time it comes back to the founder, a, a, a founder that I invested in a long time ago, he, uh, he told me that a CEO's number one job is to be able to read conversations and understand where you are in the moment with a potential customer or potential investor or whoever it is you're speaking with, and to get a very quick read on receptivity, you know, whether or not something's resonating and being able to kind of cut through the first, second, third level uh, chatter to really get to like the, the, the issue that's driving, you know, their, their technology spend or whatever it is you're trying to, to, to engage with them on. And so, you know, I, I think that that's a lot of that just is sort of how the curveball breaks. You know, I, I, I wish I had the answer. It would make my job a lot easier, <laughs> but I don't think I, I, I do. I, you know, reading people is, you know, it really is an art, right? And whether you're just trying to read the room or you're trying to rise above the noise, I mean, it really is maybe that part that you can't necessarily coach. I think so. Right? You know, you one, that what, it factor, right? Right. You know, what, one thing, one thing I would say is sort of a general piece of advice for founders, um, you know, particularly in an industry like health tech, uh, you know, I think a, a lot of founders um, who are technical, like highly technical, they will lead with their technology. You know, they lead with, we've built the best NLP and AI solution that will automatically, you know, read patient encounters and transcribe notes. You know, like they'll kind of lead with the technology, but then they will sort of sidestep the real kind of value that this will provide to a customer. And like I always, a a friend of mine uh, who's a, a chief marketing officer for cybersecurities, for cybersecurity companies, 
Um, he told me years ago, he said, nobody wakes up in the morning, not even a chief information security officer and says, I got to get me some AI today. But people just don't think like that. That, you know, so like, like a, a chief nursing officer wakes up in the morning and says, I got capacity for 60, I got, I got nursing staff to hit 60% of what I know that I'll need today. So I need to figure out how I could better allocate my resources so that I don't burn people out or, you know, uh, risk having people lining up in the hallway um, to be seen, right? It's like, those are the, those are the things they care about. And so if you are leading your customer pitch with, we got the best AI that does this, it's like, it, you've already lost them. So that's, that's what I try to tell founders too. It's like, you know, the, the more you get your customer talking about their problems, the better chance you'll have at being able to resonate because people want to be listened to people. You know, if you ask people what they need, they can maybe tell you like a couple of things. If you ask them what's hard or what their problem is, they'll, they'll buy you a drink and they'll talk to you for six hours. I love that advice, you know, make it resonate. You know, I think that's one of the key factors here is that, you know, resonating and listening and just being able to, uh, you know, read what's going on, listen more than you talk, right, is, you know, it's really key. And that's probably one of the, you know, the better piece of the, pieces of advice, you know, you can give somebody. It sounds so simple, but, you know, when you have big egos in the room and you have uh, big projects that need to be closed and you have a lot of money on the table, sometimes those skills can, uh, you know, can, can be a little blurred. Absolutely. So I, appreciate, I appreciate you pointing that out. Mike, can you please take a moment and let everyone know how they can learn more about your company and how they can reach out to you directly? Sure. Uh, well, so um, if you want to learn more about Dreamit, uh, if you're a health tech founder or secure tech founder, uh, you can go to dreamit.com forward slash health tech or secure tech. Um, you know, we have an inbox uh, and we are constantly fielding inquiries from founders. So, you know, feel free to, to drop us a note there. I'm happy to, to share my email. It's uh, Mike Ravenscroft at dreamitventures.com. Feel free to reach out to me. You know, I always love engaging with founders, um, you know, talking about pitch decks uh, and things like that. Like I said, love to pay it forward. So, you know, if I can be helpful um, for founders, I'm always I was willing to take a conversation. I love it. Thank you for joining me today. This has been a really engaging conversation. I really appreciate you bringing the energy and really talking about, you know, the key skills that founders need, you know, in order to make effective pitches. So I really appreciate you taking the time today. Likewise, Jeff. It was fun. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to the One Big Tip podcast. If you're a six to eight figure entrepreneur, business coach, or speaker who would like to be on this show, we need to talk. The audience for this podcast is hungry for experts and professionals who want to share their knowledge with this world. So if you're ready to share your actionable and measurable One Big Tip, please go to onebigtip.com slash guest and let's get your story out there. I am also crazy excited to announce my new Agents of Pod coaching program. With this program, I show busy entrepreneurs the strategies that I use to have warm conversations with my dream clients, keep my calendar book solid, and consistently have potential clients at the ready, all anxiously waiting to speak with me every single week. Head on over to agentsofpod.com slash hero and let me show you how to be the superhero in your business today. Lastly, I have a huge ask for you. Could you please share this with your audience on social media? The stories and connections that I make on this podcast have helped thousands of people, sometimes in the most profound ways. 
And you never know if your small action today will be the one that kickstarts your friend, a family member, or even yourself into taking massive action and starting the next multi-million dollar business. It'll be your way of just paying it forward. My name is Jeff Mendelson. You can find me on all the major social channels like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening.